Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. It's the Guy Jeans Podcast. I've been all around the world, bought everything from diamond to gold. No matter where I go or what I buy, I'm still a country boy in my soul. So take me to the country. Nothing but skies and pines. Hey guys, Guy Jeans here. I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast. If you have any questions or any concerns or anything like that, you know, email me at the Guy Jeans Podcast at gmail.com. That's Guy Jeans Podcast at gmail.com. I can't believe the support that I'm getting. I really appreciate it. It keeps me motivated to keep doing these podcasts. I'm learning a lot. I hope you guys are too. It's a lot of fun for me. I'm meeting all these cool people from all over the place and learning so much. My next guest, episode number 68, which is crazy to think. Um, his name is Patrick Edwards, and he's from Wyoming. Um, he's on the Wyoming Business Council. He has a podcast called the Radcast Outdoor Podcast. We have a great conversation. We talk about the state of Wyoming. We talk about wolves, mountain lions, um, hunting, fishing, golden trout, if you guys can believe that, are in Wyoming. And guess where they come from? California, where we're from. And uh, his world records as well. And it's a really interesting podcast. We learn about a fish called a sauger, which I've never heard of, and it's in the Wind River. And uh, it's just a great podcast to learn a little something new. You know you hear the wind when it call your name. Wake up out your sleep here in that southbound train. Say, take me back to the country. Nothing but pine and sky. Patrick, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for being on my podcast absolutely it's a pleasure to be on and you have a podcast i do yeah we've got a, a podcast called the radcast outdoors podcast and our tagline is hunting fishing and everything in between and you know we talk about a little bit of everything man it's everything from hunting you know big game like elk and moose bears down to you know fishing high mountain streams for golden trout and grayling so we cover it all Awesome. And you're in the town of Riverton, Wyoming. Yep, absolutely. It's a, it's a gorgeous little town. We're dead center of the state, a couple hours from Jackson and Yellowstone, close to a bunch of, bunch of outdoors activities. It's kind of the perfect place to live if you're an angler or a hunter or just even a climber. You know, we have some of the best climbing at Sinks Canyon State Park and Lander, which is just a 30-minute drive from Riverton. We've got the Wind River Mountains to hike in. We've got Boyson Reservoir to go catch walleye and big trout. We've got the Wind River with massive trout. So, yeah, it is it is a great place to live. And there's only about 10,000 people here, so it's perfect. Oh, my gosh. Sounds amazing. I was looking at the map, and it looks like there's, like, a river that runs pretty close to town. Is that what, – what river is that? Yeah, that's the Wind River. Okay. And it's – 
really well known for, especially in the town section, of having some of the biggest sauger. And sauger are like a small cousin to the walleye. Mm. And so there's big sauger in there. There's big brown trout, big cutthroat trout, rainbow trout. Um, just an amazing fishery. And it runs right through town, goes into Boyson Reservoir, and then into the Wind River Canyon, which is one of the best trout fisheries in the lower 48. I mean, just absolutely phenomenal fishing. Is that the dream stream they call that? Is that the, is it? I think in you're thinking canyon? like the, the Miracle Mile is, yeah. is what you're thinking of. The Miracle Mile is on the Platte River. Right, and that's right. only a few hours away as well. Is that right? It's like two and a half hours from where I live. And it's, uh, you know, that area between Casper, Wyoming, down to Sinclair, that whole stretch of that river, you've got three, three reservoirs connected there. You've got Alcova, Pathfinder, and Seminole. And near Seminole is the Miracle Mile. And you want to talk about some massive trout. That's that awesome. fishery's got it. Well, what's a, the sauger? I've, I've never heard of that, man. Are people targeting those? Oh, yeah. They're, you know, they're a little lesser known. I, I love catching walleye, but I really love catching sauger because they have so much more attitude. Like, yeah. you, you catch a sauger. And you bring them in and they flare out those gill plates and they're super sharp and they just look mad. It's like, nice. nah, I just got caught, you know, and they kind of have this bad look on their face, but they're, they're super cool fish. Um, they have, they look like their bodies look almost identical to a walleye, but the difference is they don't have a white tip on their, on their tail. And then they also have spots and kind of these dark patches on them and they just look super, super cool. Do people fly fish for them? Uh, you actually can. I, yeah. I have a buddy, Art Lawson. He's the tribal game and fish um, chief here um, on the Wind River Indian Reservation, which is also in my area. He's he's caught them on um, streamers. Yeah. And so in the summertime, they'll hit like big white and big black streamers in the river. And so yeah, people do actually fish fly fish for them too. When you say they're they're good size and big, what what is that? Are they are we talking like over twenty inches? Yeah, size so so in most places a big sauger is like 18 19 inches but around here a big sauger is like 24 25 inches so uh, we've got sauger up to 26 27 inches in the river which wow. i mean to find other places like that you kind of have to go to the missouri river up in montana and north dakota to find sauger that size so mm-hmm. Yeah, there there is a really good fishery for them here. That's for sure. Are you guys uh, using um, float boats or you know uh, to go down the river to catch these? Are you guys just fishing from the shore? How are you guys catching them? All of the above. I mean, yeah. you can you can get a get a float trip and do it that way. There's yeah. a lot of drift boat fishermen. A lot of guys taking rafts out. There's also you know guys like me that are just shore angling. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, there's. A multitude of ways to do it my favorite is to shore fish because i feel like if you know where you're going and you work the right parts of the river you know just by being able to read water mm-hmm. you can cover it way more thoroughly mm-hmm. from you know just wearing chest waders and going out there so that's how i like to do it and catch a ton of sauger that way so and do, trout so do the soccer like are they in uh, specific areas? Are they like riffles? Do they like slow water? Are they are ambushing their, their prey? That kind of a thing? What, what kind of water do they like? Yeah, so the people that are listening to fish for walleye know that walleye really like slack water. You know, yeah. they stay out of current. Well, sauger are a little different. They'll, 
they'll work up into like the head of a, of a fishing hole, you know, so where the current really starts to slow down, they'll be right on the seam, kind of right on that faster water as it drifts off down into that real slow kind of eddy stuff. So you'll find them at the, at the top end of the hole. You also find them at the back end. And I think okay. a lot of that has to do, and this is just Patrick's opinion, but <laughs> I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, they're, they're kind of working different areas than the walleye. Um, and kind of staying away from the walleye because the walleye are significantly bigger here um, than a lot of the sauger and until the sauger get real big. But I mean, a lot of the times when I'm catching them, I'm fishing with a, a swim bait, you know, I'm throwing mm-hmm. something pretty substantial and they just absolutely crush it and <laughs> catch big fun. trout that way too. So it's, it's fun. It sounds like a blast, man. That's a species I didn't even know existed. That's awesome. Yeah, now you got to come catch one. <laughs> I know you. You know, as I'm, I'm doing my research on on you and your town, and it just it looks beautiful, man. The river going oh, through town, and it just looks gorgeous. I mean, you're right there by the national parks. I mean, you're not too far away from them, and just there must be some great hunting. There must be some great fishing all over that area. It must be incredible. Yeah, it's it's kind of like I said, it's a mecca because like you can go. Like, for instance, this last year, I went and harvested my elk, then came came down off the mountain, went pheasant hunting, got my pheasants. There's waterfowl. We were shooting ducks last year. There's there's fishing year-round. It's just great, no matter whether you're ice fishing, river fishing, you know, trolling in a boat, fly fishing. It doesn't matter. There's yeah. always something to do. And like I said, there's 10,000 people in Riverton, like, 8,000 people in Lander and those are the two biggest towns in the county. And so the fishing is just insanely good and (laughs) you don't have, you're not having to like fight people for spots, which is even better. That's awesome. And, and you guys have, this is really interesting because where we come from, where I'm at, you know, uh, we're famous for golden trout, right. Mm -hmm. In, uh, in the Southern Sierra. And from what I understand, there's golden trout, in your area and I, the world record has come from your area. Is that right? Yeah. So one of the little known secrets, and I guess you're going to let the secret out, but <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the area here, the wind river mountains grow the biggest golden trout in the world. Yeah. And uh, of course we get our golden trout from California. Mm-hmm. Um, they get stocked in these high mountain lakes and there are, a few places on like the wind river Indian reservation where you have to have a, a tribal guide to get into, but mm. like the size of these goldens is it, it would make your jaw hit the floor. I mean, <laughs> it, it's hard to get in there. I mean, you got to work, right? Like you got to pack. Awesome. In. Yeah. But let me tell you, there are some insanely big goldens up there. And even in areas where you don't need a guide, like up above Lander, Wyoming, you can hike in and find, you know, 12 inch to even over 20 inch goldens. Um, but I mean, again, you're going to, you're going to get your exercise cause you're up in the high Alpine, but yeah, you, you won't be able to find a prettier place to catch fish. I mean, it's just absolutely wonderful <laughs> to go up there for a few days. You don't hardly see anybody. You can camp, you can, you know, eat some brookies out of the little creeks near where you're camping on your way in. It's just phenomenal. And you can catch, grayling in the creeks on your way in too i mean grayling and brookies just one after another on the fly super super fun sounds amazing do you know what those golden trout are eating to get that big in that in the are they they're in lakes i'm assuming right 
And yeah, so, so they must be eating something up there that's getting them that big, huh? Yeah, so there's scuds, you know, so that's mm-hmm. a good pattern to take with you if you're going to go out there is a scud pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of bugs. I mean, yeah. just just tons of bugs in the water. So that's that's what they're eating. And, I mean, they just they grow super fast. The one drawback that we have here in Wyoming is when we get really tough winter. Yeah. Sometimes those lakes will winter kill, sometimes. But, yeah. you know, in general – you know, that, that only happens every 10 years or so. So, I mean, you have fish that grow fairly quickly and, and get pretty big. And I mean, there's a, there's another lake here close that has brook trout up to 24 inches as well. And I mean, it's just a fly fisherman's dream or just any fisherman's dream to catch fish like that and have that at your fingertips is just mind blowing, right? Like yeah, exactly. where else can you go <laughs> where you can drive, you know, an hour, maybe two hours and have access to, you know, lake trout up to 50 pounds and yeah. world record size uh, golden trout and big cutthroat trout. I mean, just the list goes on and on and on. I mean, the, the opportunities are just amazing. You know, one of the things I uh, learned while researching you is that you don't discriminate against uh, fish species, which I love because I love to catch anything on <laughs> on a fly rod, right? And I noticed that you have a world record or a couple of world records, right? Or you beat your record or something. Could you talk about well, that? I have two new state records. So one's awesome. for the long, yeah, one's for the long nose sucker and one's for the white sucker. And the white sucker is a pending IGFA all tackle world record uh-huh. um i always say the anglers you know you typically have the guys who are just really good at one thing right like you yeah. have a a really good walleye angler a really good trout angler but most people aren't good at catching everything and i've always pushed myself to try to be good at catching everything that swims so <laughs> when i go to a new body of water my goal is you know, I'm going to catch five new or five species out of this lake, or you know, six species. I just went to a a reservoir here um, last week that has some more warm water species, and I ended mm-hmm. up catching six species in two days. So I was happy nice. about that. So I got a northern pike, smallmouth, drum, you know, stuff that I wouldn't normally catch where I live. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like that's to me that's what separates really good anglers from average everyday anglers is you know what all can you catch and are can you pivot and fish for things that maybe other people don't fish for like this year suckers and carp have been my thing and carp let me tell you that is a smart fish right (laughs) they are you know a lot of people like oh they're not hard to catch well it depends on where you're fishing for them because they're pressured at all they're pretty darn smart yep and they fight like crazy i just love catching those things awesome we seem like we're on the same page, man, for sure. <laughs> we just had a we just had a carp fly fishing tournament up here on uh, Lake Isabella, and so uh, yeah, you're, we're definitely on the same page when it comes to all the different species. So, oh, yeah. so tell me about your your record on these um, on this on the suckers, man. Because we have a, a sucker called the Sacramento sucker here in our area, uh-huh. and they get gigantic too. And, um, and then we have another fish called the Sacramento pike minnow, which are ginormous, mm-hmm. right? Yep. You've probably seen those. And yep. so those, those are all like open for records, man. You know, in, in our, in our area, they're, they're just, uh, no one's, no one's set a record on them. I don't think. And, yeah, uh, so, come on out, man. Set it. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, so like the motivation for me was pretty simple. 
again, it was, it was, can I catch these fish? Right. Mm -hmm. And can I target them specifically and do well at them? So that was the goal. And then the second goal was I actually wanted to try to see if they were edible or not. Cause a lot of people, Oh yeah. They, they think suckers are trash fish. Just like they say that with carp, which by the way is totally false. But anyway, So I was like, I'm going to catch these, try some recipes. Um, I'm good friends with uh, Jim Zumbo. He's a famous outdoor writer for Outdoor Life, has been for 50 yeah. years. He lives up in Wapiti, Wyoming, which is just a little ways from me, a couple hours away. And we've become good friends over the last few years. And he's like, yeah, you got to try these pickled sucker recipes. You got to try some <laughs> some sucker, all this stuff. And so I'm like, all right, well, got to go catch them, right? So yeah. I know a stretch of river where I would catch them incidentally, you know, trying to catch walleyes and, and other things. And so I, I went to this stretch of river and started fishing. And this was back during the pandemic, the first time I broke a record. And I caught a white sucker state record, beat the, beat the old record by over a pound back in 2020. And this year, I was like, you know, I need to try that again because I hadn't fished for suckers since. I was like, I'm going to try it again try some different recipes, try some different methods. I went out there and I caught this, this sucker. I was used to catching white sucker out of this, out of this spot, but I ended up catching this other sucker that wasn't quite the same. And I didn't know, like I knew it was a different species, but I didn't know what kind found out it was a long nose sucker. And when I looked it up online (laughs) to see what the record was, I was like, Oh, I, I broke that pretty easy and it broke it by over a pound. And so that was really cool. And then two weeks later, I took my father-in-law and my daughter because they wanted to go. And we went to that same area. And my father-in-law and my daughter both caught white suckers that would have been really close to my old state record. And then like five minutes after my daughter caught hers, I caught this giant (laughs) white sucker. (laughs) And uh, I was like, well, that's a new state record. And that might be a world record because I kind of looked them up. and. Um, it was just super cool to, to experience that and share that with, with my daughter and with my father-in-law. It was way fun. I bet. So cooking the thing. So yeah. I saw a video, I think it was on YouTube where you're, I think you're with your son and you guys, yep. you guys are getting ready to play that thing up, man. How, how did that go? Well, I'll tell you what, it's, they're, <laughs> they're a lot different than, I shouldn't say a lot different. I mean, the the flesh looks a lot like a walleye. It's it's more of a white, flaky looking meat, uh-huh. but it's it's got more oils in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a lot more bones. So if you are going to try to eat a sucker, I will tell you, bones are a problem. Um, mm-hmm. There's a couple ways around it. You can either pickle the fish, which dissolves the bones in the vinegar, mm-hmm. or you can smoke it and just pick it apart. Mm-hmm. But even doing that you're still going to deal with a few bones because I'm not perfect and I miss a few, but the, the best way to deal with it. And I actually found this recipe in Steven Ranella's uh, meat eater cookbook is you, you cook up the sucker, you take the meat, you pick the bones out the best you can take the rest. You take that meat that you just picked off, put it through a food processor and just knock the snot out of it. Try to chop up <laughs> anything that's in there. Uh-huh. And then you can make, fish meatballs so you incorporate breadcrumbs egg onions that kind of stuff and you make a meatball and then cook it in the oven those are really really good i'm gonna put that recipe out here before too long of like you know how i did it and in kind of a how-to but yeah you can deal with their bones but man it's 
It's a lot harder than people think. <laughs> uh, Pickling is probably the easiest way because then you just you fillet the meat off the bone, chunk it up, uh, get the skin off, obviously, but chunk it up and then put it in the – and there's lots of recipes out there for pickled fish, but put it in that brine and pickling stuff and then just put it in your fridge for a few weeks and then you've got your pickled pickled sucker and it's it's decent it's not my favorite thing but my son loves it so that's awesome at least we have somebody who wants to eat it at the house that's good (laughs) (laughs) so you are also from what i was reading you are an archery instructor well i did some of that years ago yeah Uh for kids so wyoming used to host this event called the wyoming outdoor expo and so um hundreds and hundreds of kids from around the state would convene at a location, they had hunting seminars and fishing and all this other stuff. And I used to teach basic archery. Um, it's funny because my podcast partner, he's a big time bow hunter. Is he? And so, yeah, he created this this product called Bow Spider. It's, it's like a bow packing system for compound bows. And so he's much more an expert on archery than I am. But I always enjoyed teaching kids the basics of shooting like a recurve bow or a long bow um just instinctive shooting and it's it's so much fun i mean i i love plinking arrows with a a little 30 to 40 pound recurve it's just a lot of fun are you when you go hunting for elk are you doing bow or are you doing gun i'm a rifle guy rifle guy yeah <laughs> yeah 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 my podcast partner he's he's the guy that's up there you know calling in bugling and calling in those big bull elk and shooting them with a bow um i just never got into that because Quite frankly, the hunting time cuts into my fishing time, which is mm-hmm. really hard for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I would much rather go fishing than hunting, and that's why we have such a good good thing going on the podcast because we can play off of each other's strengths because he would much rather hunt than fish. Yeah. And so we're able to kind of break that up and and talk about what we love. After you guys shoot an elk, are you guys way back in there and you guys got to somehow transport that back to your trucks and all yep. that? How's that go down? Well, there's two ways. You either pack it out on your back or you pack it out on an animal. This last year <laughs> when we went and got our elk, um, I shot mine. We were, I think, because we shortcutted back, I think we were three or four miles from the truck. So we had two horses with us and so we loaded two quarters on each horse and packed them out. So we, we were, we were hunting in the middle of a blizzard, which was kind of, <laughs> kind of hard because we were on this group of elk. that was like a hundred of them. And it's kind of like we were up on a bench where it's just kind of like wide open and there's sagebrush. So there's not a lot to hide behind. Well, the snow gave us concealment, but it was also hard to know how close we were ended up popping up over this hill. And we were within about, 50 to 70 yards, which made for a really easy rifle yeah. shot. So yeah, yeah. I got my, got my elk up there and then we packed it out and took it home and drove through a snowstorm home. And then, uh, <laughs> we, we did all of our own processing. We always do our own, uh, meat processing, which I think is rewarding and it's, it's cool to learn how to do it too. You guys um, have, you must have meat for the whole year then, right? <laughs> These things are huge. Well, I've got four kids, so it goes pretty fast. Oh, no. um, <laughs> right. And I actually gave a bunch of the meat to a buddy of mine this last uh-huh. year. He he had a, lost his wife in an accident, and so he's raising his three boys by himself. So I wanted to make sure that he was good for the winter. But we we eat elk, we eat antelope, we eat 
um, locally raised beef and we raise our own pigs. So we have locally raised, you know, hogs and then there's a gal here. There's a big local food movement. There's a gal here that has like meat birds so you can buy those. So we try to eat all local meat, nothing from the, nothing from the supermarket. Nice. Are you guys seeing, you know, another predator out there? Are you guys seeing wolves when you guys are out there hunting, uh, (laughs) hunting those elk? I'll tell you what, man, it is rare yeah. to see a wolf when you're out hunting. Uh, they, they're they like a ghost, you know. Um, mm. You hardly ever see them. You hear them occasionally. You'll hear them howl and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, but they're, they're a super cool animal. Um, they, you know, you. I saw one actually this year. I was driving from Jackson back to Riverton and ended up seeing one kind of off in a clearing on the side of the road, but that's super rare. But yes, there, there are wolves around. They've, they predate mostly on the moose population and elk population, but, um, we, we had a really tough winter this last year. Um, record snowfall, record low temperatures, which is part of the reason, by the way, that there's only like 580,000 people in the whole state uh, (laughs) because people can't (laughs) handle the cold. Right. But anyway, yeah, I mean, they 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 actually did pretty well this winter just because there were a lot of a lot of big game animals died from not being able to eat, and oh. so the wolves did really well this winter. The the elk and the deer did not. So, uh-huh. um, but yeah, there's there's certainly wolves. There's mountain lions. There's grizzly bears, black bears. You know, mm-hmm. we've got all the big big carnivores here. What's the attitude of of folks? um towards wolves in wyoming do they do they like them or there's some people that don't like them like maybe some sure. of the the ranchers killing their their food and their their stock and that sort of thing is that going on yeah so it's it's definitely a love hate you have people that yeah. basically worship wolves and then you have people that absolutely hate them and yeah. wish they were gone and and and, and i think you know, reasonable people can understand why both of those things exist. So if you're separated from wolves and you just look at them as a majestic animal, of course, you know, it's like, wow, that's a pretty animal. And, you know, you Mm -hmm. tend to fall in love with them. If you're a rancher and you're barely getting by year to year anyway, and then you have wolves that are killing your livestock and hurting your livelihood, you're going to feel very differently when you're trying to just yeah. trying to survive. Right. So absolutely. Um, I always tell people to give each other grace because unfortunately on social media, there's not much grace given and you have hate going back and forth mm-hmm. about wolves, but I mean, they're, they're a killing machine. That's what mm-hmm. they do. I mean, they, they have to eat. And so they're going to go out, they're going to do what they're built to do, which is to kill big game animals and, feed themselves and then move on and kill another animal and then move on and kill another one. That's just how they are. Yeah. Um, and anybody that's watched a wolf do that, it's not, it's not pretty. I mean, it's a brutal, yeah. brutal way. They typically will start eating something before it's dead. So, yeah. um, you know, wolves are for me, I mean, I, I appreciate them for what they are. Mm-hmm. Do I, do I want to, you know, see them all the time and, all that no. I mm-hmm. it's just like with grizzly bears. I don't want to run into a grizzly bear. Right. Um, but I do appreciate that they're on the landscape and they do serve a very important role on mm-hmm. the landscape. Mm-hmm. And and like one of the issues I I think that we're having here in uh California 
is um, they they've stopped uh, hunting mountain lions. You know, and from from some of my friends oh, that yeah. some of my friends that are are hunters are saying that the deer population is way down. You know, yeah. and yeah. Um, are you are you guys seeing that because of mountain lions? You, are they allowed to hunt mountain lions in in uh, Wyoming? Yeah. So California and Oregon are certainly seeing the side effect of not hunting mountain lions, right? You're seeing reduction in, in deer populations. You're seeing more interactions between people and the lions, which is a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, we hunt them here. Yeah. But even with the hunting that we have, they're still expanding. So mountain lions, and we did a podcast episode with Dan Thompson. He, he's a, he's got his doctorate in large carnivores and he did a big study in the black Hills because years ago, people forget like back in the early 1900s, mountain lions, wolves were basically extirpated from the entire Eastern part of the United States and all the way up into the West. Um, in Wyoming, wolves were completely extirpated. Um, but as we've seen over the last 20, 30 years, populations have come back. And the thing with mountain lions is they can travel 1,400 miles, right? Like mm -hmm. they're, they're incredible animals, probably one of my favorite animals in Wyoming just because they're, they're just so elusive. I've seen like four right. my entire life living here. Yeah. And they are incredibly adaptable. They'll eat anything. And that's, that's been a problem <laughs> in California. Like yeah. little dogs have been getting oh, taken, man, cats. Time. Yep. <laughs> um, but they are opportunistic, right? They'll, yeah. Depending on where they live, they could be living off deer. They could be living off of raccoons and dogs and cats. I mean, they, they're kind of like coyotes. They can live anywhere and stay under the radar for the most part. Um, but, yeah, not hunting them, in, in my opinion, is, is poor stewardship because if you let predator populations get out of control, mm -hmm. it will negatively impact your ungulate population. That's mm -hmm. just that's the way it is. And, and you see that when things aren't in balance. And one of the nice things about us as humans is we can help kind of bring that into balance and use science for that. Mm -hmm. But when you take local sentiment and just say, well, we're just not going to touch them, <laughs> you know, cause we love them. It's like, well, there is an impact to that. Right. And what is that impact? Well, it's your ungulate population goes away. Then people are like, well, where's all of our deer Right. <laughs> managing your mountain lions. And so, one of the cool things about Wyoming, and I wish other states would get on board with this, is they're really trying hard to bring that balance. And so you can come to Wyoming and see antelope everywhere and deer and elk and moose and, yeah. and all these things. And you can also see grizzly bears, wolves, and mountain lions. If you're lucky, you'll see a mountain lion. Yeah. Um, but, they're, but they're here and they're doing well, but they're also being managed. Mm -hmm. That's important. Yeah, I, I, I've seen... Uh, just in my area in the Southern Sierra, I've seen a bunch of mountain lions and, mm -hmm. you know, pretty close together and in town in my little town of Kernville, California. Um, I've got you beat on the population, man. We got 3000. <laughs> <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> pretty awesome. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, the Wyoming business council that sure. you're, you're in and um, you know, are people moving to Wyoming? Are you guys seeing people moving into the state? Yeah, so it's kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. COVID pushed a lot of people to Wyoming. Um, mm -hmm. I think 
people kind of had a wake up call of, I want to have quality of life mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I want to be able to get outside and I want to be able to breathe the fresh air and just kind of get away. So we saw a pretty good influx of people from 2020 to 2022. Mm-hmm. Now this last winter, I think probably hurt that a little bit. Cause I think some people were just like this winter was, everybody got hammered, man. We got hammered too. Oh my just gosh. Like, it was, yeah. It was cold, man. Like yeah. for the first time in my life, I ever experienced what's called a frost quake. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I've never heard of that, but it's when the temperature gets so cold, that the ground shifts and it makes your house like make cracking noises. Wow. Even though your house isn't cracking. So Whoa. it was below minus 40 Fahrenheit. Whoa. And we were getting these loud, it sounded like somebody was like running into the side of my house. It was weird. And wow. then I went outside in this cold because <laughs> I was like, what is that? And the, I have a big tree row around my place. I live on a little farm and these mm-hmm. big trees were popping and cracking too. And I was like, Oh, it's the cold. And so then I went in and looked it up and sure enough, it's a, it's called frost quakes. And wow. It, if you've never experienced that, that's, that's something. But anyway, wait, I want to, I want to ask you something real quick. Cause this is, yeah. this is mind boggling to me. Did you say minus 40? Yeah, it was actually, I think the coldest it got at my house was minus 42 this year. So can you even go outside? I mean, you can't, you can't like leave any skin exposed or anything, right? <laughs> you can go yeah. outside. You I just mean, can't go out for very long. Um, that must be insane. That? that must be insane. Yeah, have you ever, have you ever seen the boiling water trick in that kind of cold? Ah. So what you do is you take inside you know on your stove or whatever you heat up water to boiling and then you take it outside and you throw it in the air as high as you can and it turns instantly into crystals and it makes like this huge plume it's almost like smoke um we did that a couple times you can find that on our social media but it it just (laughs) it was so cold outside like yeah you don't want to be out there without good gloves and ear, you know, ear coverings and that kind of stuff. Cause you'll frostbite really fast. I mean, it was super, super cold. So when people are in that, I mean, there's people aren't working outside or anything, right? Everybody's inside or are they are people working. Oh, we, we keep going. Us Wyoming folks are pretty hardy. Like, <laughs> you know, there's still be. stuff that's got to get done. I have some friends that work for like them you know, natural gas company. Um, and so they, I mean, they were still out servicing people and digging holes and doing stuff like it it makes the world much harder <laughs> to deal with <laughs> yeah but, um no we we keep moving like we'll get you know a foot two feet of snow and still be having school i mean you, you just gotta if if you stopped everything for the weather here you wouldn't get anything done so you guys are all you guys dude it's zero degrees man i'm wearing shorts <laughs> when, it, oh when it warmed up to zero we thought like it was a heat wave <laughs> i know <laughs> my god oh my god that's uh, crazy i i but i think that that last winter drove some people out of the state um because yeah. i mean you we're, we're doing a project with harvard university it's called pathways to prosperity and what we've done is we've hired their economic growth team to really study the state of wyoming and see you know kind of why we haven't grown and what are some things we can do to grow you know because i if you look at colorado colorado's exploded man like there's so many people down there but wyoming just hasn't grown and when you look at one of the main factors 
it's the geography and the weather because the, the weather is harsh yeah and the geography is difficult because you have lots of mountain ranges you don't have a lot of land that you can you know do ag development that kind of stuff and so the state has stayed pretty small just because of those factors but we did see over COVID an influx of like firearms companies and um, other companies like that. Like if like Weatherby came uh, just before COVID and they talked about how if they had stayed, I, th- I think they were from California, if they had stayed there because of the, you know, everything being shut down like it was, mm-hmm. they would have gone out of business. Mm-hmm. Like they couldn't have survived COVID, but they actually thrived because they were here in Wyoming and they were able to stay open and keep working. Um, but Caltech USA just came to Wyoming, uh, here recently. Um, so we're seeing an influx of, you know, firearms manufacturers because they, they feel safer with the political climate here, but they also, I mean, there's no state income tax. There's no corporate tax. There's no inventory tax. Like tax. Yeah. It's a tax shelter state. So like if, if you're looking for a state to come and, and work, you know, and, and operate a business, like you're going to be hard pressed to find one that's more business friendly than Wyoming, which is pretty cool. No sales tax. Nope. Well, we have sales tax. Sorry. No, no, uh, personal income tax. So like if you live here, um, you don't have any, you know, state income tax. I'm sure in California it's fairly high. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yep. There's, there's no franchise taxes. So like, say you wanted to start, a franchise here in Wyoming, mm-hmm. you get there, there's no inventory tax. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, a lot of people come here just for the tax benefits, but I would say even more than that, again, it really, when we see people coming to Wyoming, it's like the quality of life thing, you yeah. know, like companies that are saying what matters to me, what matters to my employees. I think those are the biggest reasons that companies come here. Like if you are, an outdoor rec company and you love hunting and fishing and hiking and climbing, you can't do any better yeah. <laughs> than coming here. Yeah. But our, what, what are you willing to deal with as a trade-off for that? Because we don't have tons of people, right? Mm-hmm. So your, your workforce side, you're, you might have to work a little bit harder to get people. But if you have people that are willing to relocate, which a lot of companies have, um, it, like Kafaru International, they moved here to Riverton from, Colorado and they're a manufacturer of really high-end backpacking equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, they moved here and they brought almost all their employees here and then they've started hiring people here. And so that, that has been a really good fit and they love it because they can drive a half hour and go hunting or fishing or backpacking yeah. or whatever they want to do. And they just absolutely love Wyoming. What's a, uh, house costs like a normal single family home cost there you know it depends on what part of the state you're in like the higher the higher cost areas are obviously jackson jackson yeah, right. i mean you're talking million plus <laughs> yeah you know, yeah to get into something but like sheridan you're probably looking at four to five hundred thousand uh cheyenne area probably about the same here in Riverton, though, Riverton uh, is, you know, you can find something for $200,000 nice. and I like have that. a nice place to live. Yeah. yeah. Um, Lander, which is 30 minutes from Riverton, it's on the base of the Wind River Range. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more. You're looking at four to 500000 But, 
Yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, comparatively, if you look across the country, it's not bad. Yeah, I, I like that, uh, you know, Riverton in the $200,000 range. And you guys got, you know, rivers and everything to do there. That sounds really appealing, you know, to <laughs> it me. Is. You know, so it sounds like you guys have like the four seasons and uh, probably like the the fishing guides and the, the hunting guides. Are they, they working mm-hmm. during like the, the warmer months or are they, are they working uh, year round? Yeah, they're working year round. I mean, there's always something, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of our outfitters are doing both hunting and fishing guiding. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're if you're working up around, you know, Riverton, Dubois, that that kind of area, Lander, you can do guiding when hunting season isn't, you know, isn't going on. Or, you know, a lot of our outfitters are actually farmers and ranchers too. So, yeah, um, you know, there's they're typically working year round. Um, I know that like in the Wind River Canyon, which is between Shoshone and Thermopolis, Wyoming, which is about 45 minutes from Riverton, there's um, a uh, float guide service down that stretch of river that is year round. And I mean, they just, they are, they are booked like two years out. Yeah. The the fishing is just incredible. Oh, that's so cool. I noticed on the map that, the Indian reservation kind of extend, does it extend into Riverton a little bit? Yeah. So it goes all the way around. So it's, it's 2.2 million acres Mm -hmm. and it's the largest reservation in the country. It was also the first and it, it has the Eastern Shoshone tribe and the Northern Arapaho tribe. And something to note about them is I'm working on a project with them right now. They have a, they're working with a nonprofit called Indie Fly, so you'll have to look that up. It's I N D I F L Y, and what they're doing is they're training indigenous youth in how to become fly fishing guides. They're going to build a lodge. Awesome. And they're gonna, yeah, they're gonna have services that offer some of the best fly fishing in the entire world <laughs> right awesome. here. Because I mean, they have. I kid you not, man. This this is a, a secret that your people will want to know about. But <laughs> they have again those trophy golden trout, yeah. trophy lake trout, trophy brook trout, trophy cutthroat trout, trophy brown trout, and it's all right there. And grayling too. I mean, some some pretty good size Arctic grayling. So they 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 have a gold mine as far as the resource that they have, mm-hmm. and what they're trying to do, and what Indiefly is helping them do is mobilized so that they can actually take advantage of that by selling, you know, trips. Yeah. So like if you want to go out to Wyoming for five days, seven days, whatever it is, have a, a local guide that would take you and put you on these really great fish. And then it's up to you to catch them obviously, but at least yeah. you have someone taking you and putting you in these places where it may only see 15, 20 people a year. Yeah. Total. Right. And so it's super remote, super untouched, kind of a hidden gem. What they're trying to do is get that so that, you know, they can do economic development on the reservation and Art Lawson, he's the tribal game and fish director. He's just been incredible. This was his vision and he's done a great job with it. They've partnered with Yeti and Patagonia and a few other uh, Costa sunglasses. Nice. They're trying to raise funds to do this. So if if you guys want to help out, you can always go check out IndieFly. It's a nonprofit. IndieFly.org? Or? I believe so. Okay. I-N-D-I-Fly. Yep. Nice. Yep. Oh, I love it, man. I mean, 
they got the resource and, and no one can really go fish it unless you go with a, a native guide, right? Is that kind correct. of, is that yep. correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they got that. So that's perfect, man. Oh yeah. It's, and it's some of the prettiest country in the world. Um, you know, people always think about like, if you think of pristine, beautiful places, you think of like New Zealand and you think of Alaska and all these places, the Wind River Mountains have that kind of feel like they're just absolutely gorgeous. And the parts that are reservation are yeah. virtually untouched, like I said. Yeah. So it is just absolutely amazing. So pretty. So why did you start a podcast? And the other question <laughs> is what uh, the name Radcast, what's that all about? Yeah, sure. So <laughs> gosh, I guess I just need another thing on my plate. No, I, <laughs> I started the podcast uh, we actually were approached by one of our local media companies right before COVID started. And they said, Hey, you know, we, we have this gap in our market for outdoor rec. We know you're really into fishing and your podcast or your partner, David, I was actually helping him with his business. They said, Hey, he, he's really into hunting. Why don't you two put together a, a podcast and talk about hunting and fishing? And nice. So we were like, yeah, I guess we could do that. We'll do 12 episodes and see what happens. And started to fall in love with it because I was finally getting to talk to people who I've looked up to in the industry, like Larry mm-hmm. Dahlberg and mm-hmm. Al Linder, <laughs> a number of people. Yeah, I was like, cool. This is really cool. Cause it gives me an opportunity to talk to these guys that have all this knowledge and have so much to share. And the other reason too, was like our podcast is a clean family friendly podcast and unfortunately, mm-hmm. there's a lot of outdoor podcasts that I'm not going to listen to with my four kids in the car, just for sure. the content's a little edgy for me. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> We're going to make one that's family friendly. You can listen to with anybody around and it's going to have good information. We're going to bring on people who know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. We're going to cover, you know, like with Dan Thompson, we covered grizzly bears and mm-hmm. mountain lions and wolves. So if you're curious about the biology of those animals, you got a resource now and you can listen to it whenever you want or, you know, covering people ask me fishing questions all the time. Like how do I fish better? Like you did today for sauger, for walleye, for Mm -hmm. brown trout, you know, I can cover that ground and have it be there and be available for people. And it's, it's been really fun. The name really came from trying to put together David and myself, like what, (laughs) what's important to us. So he owns a company called recreational archery designs or development. Okay. Rad. Uh And then I'm cast like the, the the fishing side, because that's what I care about. And so that's where rad cast comes from. Great name. Um, That's cool. You know, the thing I love about uh, my podcast that I've been doing is I'm learning constantly learning about uh, areas and people and, you know, um, I mean, today, you know, the, the fish, uh, the sauger and I had no clue about that thing. And, you know, just your area in general. And it, it makes me research the area and the people and what they're doing. And it's just super fun for me too, man. I, I really enjoy it. It's super interesting. And the learning is just incredible. Yeah. I had a guest on from California. You probably know who he is. He's Bill Cementel. He's known as like the 
best big bass fisherman of all time. Like he's had over 500 bass over 10 pounds. Oh my gosh. Um, the guy is incredible. And he's, he's such a wealth of knowledge and we had him on intending to be like that 45 minute to an hour deal. And we had to break it up into two episodes because we went for two hours and he just put on a clinic of that's awesome. This, when you cast into this area and you're working it back and your lure gets bit, but you don't hook up. Well, this is probably the reason because the, you got to look at the sun angle and then you got to look at this, look at that. Like he's just, he's a wealth of knowledge and really on how to even just approach a spot or how to break down a reservoir, a lake, a river. Yeah. I mean, the guy is just so stinking smart. And so we had so much fun with him. <laughs> and again, yeah, like you said, like I learn stuff every time I do a podcast, I learn something Yeah. and it's so cool. Also, I don't know about you, but one of my favorite things is meeting people. Yeah. You know, you get to meet cool people. Oh yeah. From all over the world. It's awesome. That you never would have met before. Exactly. You know? Yep. Yeah. I, I just love it. So where can people find your, your podcast? Um, maybe give them the, the socials and the website sure. address and all that stuff. Also, if you're a company, by the way, and you want to come to Wyoming, go to wyomingbusiness.org nice. and you can look at the Wyoming business council website, see, you know, what kind of incentives you have, you can contact me directly. We can talk about that. But as far as the podcast goes, yeah. go to radcastoutdoors.com. So R-A-D-C-A-S-T outdoors.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook at, at Radcast Outdoors Podcast. And then you can also follow me if you want to follow me specifically. My handle on Facebook and Instagram is at Angling Wyoming. And you can see all the crazy fish that I catch, the different things that we have here. So that's awesome. Um, but dude, thanks for having me on. This has been so much fun. Yeah. Love talking about fishing, love talking about the state that I love. So this has been amazing. Yeah, man. And the thing I uh, loved about you is that you don't discriminate against fish, man. You just want to catch yeah. them. The tug is the drug, right? Well, and they're <laughs> all just so different and so cool. Why not yeah. catch them all, right? Exactly, man. Exactly. Well, Patrick. Thanks, man. Thanks for being on my podcast, and uh, I hope you guys uh, have great success with your podcast, and uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. I've been all around the world, bought everything from diamond to gold. No matter where I go or what I buy, I'm still a country boy in my soul, so take me to the country. Nothing but skies and pines. It's a guy jeans podcast.